0: Hi, I'm Brooke Boney. Welcome to Tales of Sydney, where we explore what's living in your neighbourhood. Today, we're going farming in the city. We're looking at two popular animals you can keep in your backyard, chickens and some hard-working, flower-loving insects.
1: A friend had called the shop here and said there was a large swarm going down Castle Ray Street in the city and it had landed on a motorbike. So I rushed in and, um, yeah, there was a bit of a crowd there. In total in that swarm, I'd say there was about two to 3,000 bees.
0: Vicki Brown is one half of the Urban Beehive, which supports honeybees that work in urban Sydney. But sometimes the bees she goes out to help people with don't end up where you'd expect them,
1: like on a motorbike. It was pretty funny when the fire engine and the fire brigade rocked up and they asked if you know I wanted them to hose the bees down and I told them that that probably wasn't a great idea and that you know it was okay um and I thought the one thing they could help me with is finding the queen and that's pretty much when she appeared so she was walking around with the bees and I saw her and quickly grabbed her and put her in a queen cage
2: right and why would she land on a motorbike
1: um I think she maybe just got tired it was a nice looking motorbike if I was a queen i wouldn't mind landing on that one too. Yeah, I'm not sure why she chose the motorbike, but it ended up being a bit of fun, so that was good. Bees are actually quite um, vulnerable when they're in a swarm. So bees defensive behavior usually comes from them protecting their brood and they're protecting their young. When they're in a swarm, they don't have any brood or young and they actually have no home. And so they're feeling quite vulnerable and a lot more passive. They've also Build up on some honey before they've left their previous beehive so they're less liable to sting as well um, and when you kind of give them a box to go into the majority of the time they're quite grateful because it means that they have found somewhere they're going to be safe. Um, when they're in a swarm there's so many factors that can mean that the beehive won't survive and if you give them a new box they're, they're really usually quite happy to move in and be taken away. And swarming is a natural part of the bees' um, behaviour. And it's actually a good thing. It shows that they're happy and they're healthy. Um, Bees will only swarm when they want to spread their genetics and if they're under um, any stress at all, they usually won't be swarming.
0: Doug Purdy is the other half of Urban Beehive. He took our reporter Jake Morcom out to see a few hundred thousand bees. Nearly half a million, to be precise. That's a lot of bees.
3: Oh, look, I think what's happening is that people are getting closer to where their food comes from, and bees are an easy part of that. They're much easier to look after than chickens, because they feed themselves, and you don't have to lock them in at night. And so we're here in Centennial Park, and we've got some beehives here, and we're running a bee course here today, and we're going to go and have a look at some of the hives and um, see what they sound like. And what do
2: I look like right now?
3: Um, you look like you're about to go fencing. <laughs> so, um, So you're wearing a white bee suit. And
2: what's why do I need to be wearing this? Because we are standing. Yeah, like what one. is probably just about a meter away from
3: how many bees? Oh, look! So we've got what we got five beehives here, about eighty thousand bees in each one.
2: Eighty thousand bees, and are these one, two, three, four, five hives here? Yep. Yeah. Four. Oh, my yeah, no, maths no, testing yeah. my maths. Four hundred thousand bees.
3: Something like that. I'll get my phone and check it, shall I? Yeah. Something <laughs> like that. A lot. A lot of bees.
2: I also should tell you, and funny that I'm doing this, but I'm actually. A bit of a phobia of bees. Okay. And so I'm a bit nervous.
3: Well, don't run screaming from the (laughs) avery. What we'll do is um, we'll go through the gate here and Uh have a look. Ah, I've never been near
2: 400,000 of them before.
3: So if you come over here, we're coming up beside the beehive. And we should be able to hear the bees coming and going now.
2: Oh, definitely. So what's happening? What are these guys doing?
3: Well, if you have a look, you look at the front of the beehive, you can see that they're all coming and going. So what they do is they go out and they're, they're out collecting nectar um, or pollen and bringing it back to the beehive for their food. Um, so that's what most of those, those girls are doing. Um, so most of the, what bees we can see are girls. Um, the boy bees are much, much bigger. And um, I can see a few of the boys coming back. Um, the boys generally don't come back till late in the afternoon.
2: And so how can you tell the girls and boys apart? I think Vicky was saying it's like, of
3: bees are female? Yeah, well, you can see. Look, I'll just get down a bit closer. So these ones here, these are the boy bees, right? Oh, my God. So that's the boy bee. Right. So it's a really big bee. Actually, he's really buzzy if we listen to him. We might be be able to hear him if he buzzes. (gasps) So they're called drones because they make that loud droning sound. Right. And the boy bees have got really big eyes um, so that they can find the, um, the queens to mate with. Um, and they're a much bigger bee to a regular worker bee. Do they sleep? No, bees don't sleep. At all? No.
2: So they're like on a 24-7 schedule?
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, they work themselves to death, literally. So they never stop working.
2: How, how long do they live?
3: It depends how hard they work. So about 50 to 60 days. So they, they make about a, a quarter of a, a fifth. depends who you speak to. A quarter of a teaspoon or a fifth of a teaspoon in their entire life of, hun- right. of honey.
2: I guess that's why you need 80,000.
3: <laughs> well, that's right, yeah. But also means don't ever wash the knife, like lick the knife, because you don't want to wash that honey off. It could be like a oh, bee's whole life, you're just washing off the knife.
2: Someone, someone's entire work life.
0: Yeah. Doug and Vicky spend so much time with bees, you can point to any bee in a hive and they'll tell you exactly what its job is.
1: So the queen bee is the mother of all the bees? She is the only bee that will lay fertile eggs in the beehive, so she kind of perpetuates the cycle of bees being born in the beehive. She doesn't do any other work apart from laying the eggs. What they do is they find a day-old egg. Um, A worker egg, a female, is exactly the same for a queen in the first day. The only difference is that they then feed it a large amount of royal jelly and then that will become the new queen. A lot of people ask me, oh, you must want to be a queen bee, and I honestly could not think of anything I would rather not. Like, I mean, I just wouldn't want to do it. You're just perpetually pregnant for four years, laying eggs. Um, I'd rather be a worker, you know, getting to fly out, collect nectar and pollen and things like that and see the world a bit. The queen, once after she's done her maiden flights where she mates with the drones, will never leave the beehive again unless she decides to swarm other roles inside the beehive are the guard bee and so if you do watch a beehive you'll notice that there's a couple of guards who stand at the entrance and kind of check other bees who come in and try and ward off any you know pests that might want to come in as well um there's other bees whose job is to take out any debris or dead bees the undertakers so they're kind of like garbage disposal they'll go and you see them dragging them out they usually take rubbish about a meter or two away from the beehive um yeah it's interesting and i think what they do is they work as a as a structure that they'll walk around and they'll just see what needs to be done and they all kind of do those chores
0: in the hive it's so dark bees can't see so they have a couple of more creative ways of communicating they use their sense of smell and they dance
2: and you say that they communicate via pheromones. How exactly does that communication work?
1: Yeah, there's a few different pheromones. One of them that's um, widely known is called the nasonov pheromone, and that's released from a gland at the back of their abdomen. Um, if a beehive is disturbed, or such as a swarm, you know, if you put it into a new box, or if you open up the lid and you shake some bees, a short area away from the beehive, bees will kind of stand up, push um, their abdomen into the air open up this gland and start fanning their wings very fast. And as they do that, they release a pheromone. And that pheromone says to the other bees in the area, this is where the hive is. You can come back to here. You can find us, you know, don't be lost or, you know, everybody come back to this area. It's an amazing process to watch to see how they kind of call everybody back as well. Yeah, using that pheromone. The beehive is dark. You know, they can't really necessarily communicate to each other with sight so what they do is they have other methods one of the other methods which i find really fascinating is that they they dance and it's called the waggle dance and what dance? the waggle because they waggle through their butt <laughs> um it's quite cute when you watch them um it like was, from
2: side to side like yeah,
4: That's right.
2: they
1: shake their booty it's kind of cute it's really cute and what they do is they in the dark they, they go, in a, go in a circle, like a yin-yang, and in the middle of the yin-yang as they're walking down the sedent, they, they waggle their <laughs> abdomen. Um, they do that waggle movement in the direction of where they want the bees to in relation to where the sun is in the sky at that time of day. So let's say a bee has gone out and has found a beautiful um, water gum tree that has just started flowering. So she'll drink that nectar, she'll come back, she'll do a waggle dance which will tell the other bees around her, Where that tree is, they will watch her for a while. They will kind of stand around like a dance off in a circle, (laughs) watch her. She'll feed them a little bit of the nectar. It's called trophallaxis when they share a bit of the nectar. And then that bee who has seen all these movements will then go out and find that tree. And it's pretty specific. Um, if she shakes her abdomen very fast, it's, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty nearby. If she's nice and slow, it means take your time. It's going to take a while.
2: And so is that happening in the hive?
1: Yes, that happens in the hive. When you take out the frames, you'll see, you know, some of the bees doing the waggle dance. Um.
2: (laughs) And you were saying, though, that it's really dark in there. So how are they kind of seeing or are they feeling the waggle dance?
1: They're feeling the vibrations. They're standing around her. Um, Like I said, she'll she'll just be standing there in in a circle and she'll be doing that dance and the bees around her will kind of follow her and be close to her while she does that and somehow they can read these vibrations, they can read the direction and that will give them indication of where to go.
2: Amazing.
1: I had a chance to try some of the
0: honey Doug and Vicky's bees have made. City of Sydney put a hive on Customs House as part of the Something Else is Alive exhibition. And It was a very tasty exhibition. If you'd like to have your own backyard hive, you don't need council approval to own a beehive in the city of Sydney, but if you want to keep European honeybees, you do need to register your hive with the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. No registration is required for native bees. Even if you don't want to keep your own bees, you might still find it useful to get them into your garden. I sent producer Miles Martignoni to talk to Belinda Thackeray, the project manager at City Farm.
2: So bees range up to eight kilometres around their hive when they're getting food to produce their honey. But they're also doing something really important for all the plants when they go and get the pollen. So what are bees actually doing?
5: so what happens is bees and other insects they come in and help the plants with pollination so what they do is they transfer the pollen from the male part of the flower to the female part of the flower and that's really important for the fertilization to happen what then happens is the plant will set the fruit and from the fruit we then get the seed so it's a really fantastic process and some plants will um, pollinate themselves so the wind can help to do that other plants we really need these pollinators to help us out to make that happen
2: So how do you make sure that bees can actually find the plants that you want to get pollinated to grow food?
5: So what we do is we put in a whole heap of, we call them pollinating plants. So they're plants that attract pollinators to the garden. So um, we put in things that are flowery, that are producing a lot of nectar. And we find that um, bees are attracted to certain colours. That's a really kind of interesting um, thing that happens. So things like yellows, which is plants like nasturtiums, the purples of things like lavenders and salvias, and the blues, that really then encourages the bees to come into the garden. So we interplant our our, um, space at City Farm where we'll grow vegetables. We also then plant all of these lovely flowering plants in between to then attract these pollinators to come in.
2: And there's lots of other insects in the, in the city, of course. Um, do they help pollinate
5: plants as well? They can, sure. Yeah, there is lots of other insects that can help pollinate. So, um, you know, things like wasps can help pollinate, um, moths and other insects, but the bees are the main one we have. And at City Farm we have um, honeybees come and visit. We have native, so the stingless native bees come and visit and we get these really cool blue-banded native bees that come in. They are, like, really interesting because what they do is they do this thing called buzz pollination. So they go along and they make this kind of little wiggle where they um, tighten up their flight muscles and they wiggle around and that then makes the plant release its pollen. And for a certain lot of plants called the solanaceae family, so for us in the um, City Farm garden, this is then the tomatoes and the chilies and the eggplants over summer, it's then made all of those plants pollinate. So it's amazing what they've managed to do, these bees, for us.
0: City Farm is based in St Peter's. If you want to learn more about food and connections between the paddock and the plate, then you could do workshops or even volunteer at the farm. You can find all the information at talesofsydneypodcast.com. Now, bees are amazing, but they're not the only animal you can get food from in an urban environment. You can raise all kinds of feathered friends who lay eggs. Jake found a few hundred of them at City Chicks.
2: hi. Hi, I'm Jake. I have an interview with John.
5: Oh, you do? For ten, um, yeah. OK, yeah, head down the back, yeah. Sweet. Like, Mum
2: and Dad should be down the back. Sweet. There are so many chickens. <laughs> I've never seen so many chickens in one place before. Um, how's it going? Good, mate. It's
4: good, Just it's good. good. Worming and might-lighting some birds, getting them ready to go to a school. A school? Yeah.
0: yeah right. So. John Huntington always loved animals and wanted to be a vet, but he said he didn't get the marks for it. So he got a few chickens, loved them, and now twenty five years later, he breeds them.
4: So th- these are these are chicks that you're seeing running around here. These are all naturally born and they're being reared by the by the mums. So so that's the dad in there. And then there's two there's actually two mums that are actually sharing the mother duties of the of the chicks. Right. But um yeah, they that they like These are fully grown, these girls in here, so they're not a big bird overall, but um, they're funny little, and they, like, as you can see, the chicks are only a week old now, and they're out on their own, wandering around the yard, doing doing what they want to do. And a uh, little chick's, chick's got a piece of feed there, and she's running away so that the others can't eat it.
2: <laughs> so,
4: they are like the size, they could
2: literally, you could, I could probably fit like two or three of those in my hands. Yes,
4: yeah. Yeah, at at that age, they're just starting to show, you know, their little personality traits, which is one of those things where you never know what personality you're going to get in the chicken. Um, We often say to people that haven't had chickens before that every bird has its own unique personality, and it's like, you know, when you've got brothers and sisters, you can have the sister that you really love and the sister that you don't, you have to tolerate, and uh, you know, you see those sort of things where you get the chicken that loves you and you get the chicken that doesn't like you much. (laughs) In fact, we had a customer just recently, he's got uh, six birds and he, he, he originally purchased four. And because we always tell people if you're adding new birds, you need to do it in pairs. So he bought two new birds and he wanted well, one of the birds for its color. And then the other one, he said, oh, I just want a bird that's got that's, you know, a totally different personality. And so we gave him a, a, a brown leghorn hen. And he came back to us all, oh, you know, he's probably had her about four months now. And he said, I cannot believe the difference in that bird. You know, like she's just a rogue, you know, everybody else sort of toes the line, but she's just a rogue and, and she'll do what I ask her to do. But she just wants to, you know, if she gets a chance to be mischievous, she's always mischievous. So, you know, if he, if he's uh, filling up the water, she'll come behind and tread on the edge of the water. So it tips over and things like that. And, <laughs> and, uh, she you know he put the feed bag down and she'll knock the feed bag over so that she can get to the feed and things like that or if he turns his back she'll jump she'll or he bends down to pick up the feed or whatever she'll jump onto his back you know and walk up to his shoulder and things like that so yeah so that like i said they all have their own personality you get some that uh, really want to interact with you you get those that want to stand behind you and trip you over (laughs) Uh, but you'll get those that'll walk up your arm and you know there's there's a lot of birds that they are very habitual so if you start feeding them at 6 a.m every morning on Saturday and Sunday they'll be running their beaks along the wire to say hey it's still 6 a.m come on come and feed us it's time to get fed <laughs> so so they are you know very structured in in that form um, so if you start you know walk out the back door to feed them every day they know as soon as that back door opens food's coming you might be taking the clothes out to the line but they still think that there's food coming <laughs>
2: Around the general city of Sydney area, how much, how much demand do you get these days? Are more people like reaching out to you?
4: Yeah, the, the number of people that are looking for chickens in their own backyard has grown every year for the last seven years. So we've basically had, uh, on average, a ten to fifteen percent increase every year in the number of birds supplied through through these premises.
2: And in terms of just like the actual setup itself, like. What do you need? Like,
4: with a cat, you need a bowl, you need a litter box, blah, blah, blah. But with a chicken, what do you need to, like, keep them happy? Yep. So, you need a coop area, and a coop's normally made up of three separate sections, okay? So, there's the nesting box where they go to lay their eggs, okay? There's normally a night area, which is what we have perches, where they sit on the perches over night time. Chickens do most of their manuring over night time. Uh, so you need a perch where they're not they're not sitting on the on the ground so much, and then you have a run area, and that's normally access to the actual soil itself. Um, as a minimum requirement, you need a, a method to feed the birds, so a feeder, and you need a method to give the birds fresh, cool water. So, and if you um, know your birds really well, once temp- water gets to a certain temperature, they won't drink it. And so birds will actually dehydrate next to a swimming pool because once the pool gets to a certain temperature, they won't touch the water.
2: Wow, right. And how long do they tend to live, obviously? Well, I guess it would be
4: dependent on the species, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, birds fall into sort of three categories, but you, you've basically got hybrids and then bantams, which are a smaller version of, of a pure breed, and you got got obviously the pure breeds themselves. Hybrids uh, tend to be our commercial laying hens, so they only come in three colours, brown, black or white normally, um, and they'll lay about 300 eggs a year. They start laying at 24 weeks of age, They'll lay for about two and a half to two or two and a half to three years maximum out of a total lifespan of about five to six years. Whereas your bantams and your pure breeds, they tend to start laying at 40 weeks of age. so a bit later in life. They lay an egg every second day so because of that lack of pressure on the body, not pushing an egg out every day, they tend to live a total lifespan of about 12 to 15 years, but they'll lay for about five and a half to six of those years. So they lay for roughly half of their total lifespan. Do you
2: see people get, like, really emotionally invested in their chickens like they would a dog?
4: Yeah, it's it's one of those things where we we actually work with a number of avarian vets around Sydney, um, trying to uh, alter that perception of chickens as being just livestock. And commercially, yes, they are livestock, but what we're selling to people here is people's pets.
0: Thanks for listening to Tales of Sydney. Next episode, we're going into Sydney Harbour to meet some of its smallest inhabitants. This podcast was created by City of Sydney and inspired by the Something Else is Alive exhibition at Customs House. Special thanks to the Curators Department, the Urban Beehive, City Farm and City Chicks.